Hey, hello, listeners. My name is Louis May, and welcome to The Third Coin. Uh, I'm here today with Grant Cermak, and we are going to just discuss some topics in the uh, crypto market, in the blockchain world. Once again, our show is about everything in the past of blockchain, everything that's currently taking place in the present, and what is the future of this technology in this industry. So today I'm just going to run through some quick opinions and ideas that we've been seeing out on the interweb, and we're going to talk about them because I think these are valid topics that we have some um, opinion about, and our opinion needs to be shared with the world because it's uh, it's valid. So Grant, how's it going today? Oh, things are interesting in the world of crypto. We're watching all kinds of different movements, up, down, inflows, outflows. So I'm keenly kind of watching the divergence between Ethereum and Bitcoin at the moment. So it's interesting when these things don't directly track. I'm, I'm ever watchful of when things move in opposite directions. Loop ring, I'm keeping an eye on too. It's kind of very interesting uh, to see that playing out and how the, the it, it being driven from G GameStop and the rumors around that. It's it, yeah, interesting stuff happening at the moment. So I'm keeping an eye on all those things. Okay, cool. And once again, not even close to an expert at this industry or anything or this tech, but I have, I do know enough to know that up to this point, Bitcoin and Ethereum have made their runs or gone in directions that are uh, similar to each other and co coincide with each other. And you're saying that they are possibly diverging. What's going on with that? It's hard to really know what's going on. It's you can watch from the sideline and see when these things occur. I think it's interesting when they do, when all of crypto does the exact same thing, it tracks exactly because Bitcoin's having a run up. So all crypto rises, Bitcoin rises to me. I don't understand why that would particularly be the case, but it seems like it's happened quite a bit, but now I, I think coins really find their own footing when they don't track each other. They do their own thing. They move in opposite directions. They move whenever they move according to what's happening in their particular space. I, I don't know much more to say about it other than that, just that it is happening and it's interesting when it does. I think to me, that says that those markets are starting to stand on their own and therefore are no longer tied to the hip. They're, they're not the same thing. I think if they do track, they basically are are the same thing when they don't, that's evidence that they're no longer the same thing. So I think okay. Ethereum is starting to really find its own foot and it's definitely moving in a different direction than what Bitcoin And the, re is. the reason I'm smiling so much is because when we watch this first video, you'll probably get a little chuckle too, because it's maybe coincidence, maybe not that it happens to be about Ethereum. Let me share my screen here. And let's check out this thing. I'm going to make sure I share the sounds so you can hear it. Let me know if you can't. So Ethereum is a piece of crap program that only has value because it is inefficient. If it was efficient, it would actually lose all its value. Basically, high gas fees cause the price of Ethereum to go up because you need to buy more Ethereum in order to cash out. And I keep thinking about this. I keep thinking, what if there is a bank run on NFTs and Ethereum? You could literally see the gas fee get so high that the price of Ethereum would jump up to a million dollars a coin. I'm not exaggerating. It could jump up to a million dollars a coin. And you'd have all these people trapped in NFTs and trapped in Ethereum because they can't afford the gas fee to switch it over to a server that will change it into USD. So you'd see this giant spike up to a million dollars and then it would just crash to zero. 
I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I can't think of an institution where something like that hasn't happened at least once. And because of how Ethereum is programmed, it seems like it has to happen once. Valid point by that gentleman. Million seems odd to me, but yes, <laughs> a high gas fees do drive the drive Ethereum into very bizarre places. And it's similar to things that you and I have talked about before, which is what are blockchains? They're shitty databases that have high latency and Ethereum is one of the worst. So yes, mm -hmm. I, I would, I would agree. The fundamental things he's pointing out about why this coin is <laughs> very not functional and not interesting to work with from a technology perspective, it has momentum and momentum counts for a lot, but as far as it being anything does, I would agree. Like, I think a lot of people are going to find their money trapped there and wish that it wasn't. And, and so as I speak to you guys and learn more and more about this, what I'm from my outside point of view, it's like blockchain technology is new, but that doesn't mean it's well-developed. Is that a I'm fair statement? I'm not sure about that. The idea is that the technology was built to do a particular thing and there were ideas about how things could work and scale. I just don't know that it's actually played out and we found that certain types of things just don't work the way that they had hoped. There's a, there's like a finance, uh, function. I think it's called a reverse auction, which is how gas fees are determined. It says, Hey, there you're bidding on this space that's available within a particular chain. And that reverse auction thing just didn't end up working out the way that they had hoped. So it's the difference between theory and practice and how does this end up working in the long run? So. It's hard to know how things will work moving forward. And when, when the price of Ethereum is just what it is, then gas prices just track with it because there's just only so much compute available. I, Got I just it. don't know that anybody anticipated there being this many projects. The idea that this could be the world's computer, that didn't work. It's not the okay. world's computer. Ah, okay. So there's a flaw. So I, I don't know if this is on subject or off, but it just alludes to something I've thought of in ways that I've tried to explain it to other people is that it's called a, what is it? It's a network of people that all agree on something. What is, what is the term? Consensus. And so to me, it's like a consensus of what is true or what is false, right? Like it's every block that comes out is everybody saying, or finally the record keeping that all of these transactions, they are true and valid. Is that a fair way of thinking about this? As far as uh, the people coming together and just all looking at it and agreeing? It's a human way of thinking about it. These consensus mechanisms are more technology driven. They're about how the technology and the software can come to a means of agreeing on what needs to, what is the record? What is this? What is the statement of record? Th these are difficult but concepts. Still, or... Okay. But I guess I, what I missed there was the peer to peer addition to that consensus. Like it's peer to peer. So while it, it's a, you're saying it's a computerized version of that, it still means nothing if there's only one human user on that chain. This is a, this is a tricky thing. It's not like humans that are really doing any of this kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's computers and software programs that are trying to do this. The, the, I think the way to wrap your head around it is centralization was the thing when I am, I, when I have the database and I'm in control of it, there is no consensus that's needed because I am Got saying it. what the 
record should be and I'm in control of it and I'm not allowing for outside things to sort of change that in a way that isn't within the scope there's of what no I real check and balance in a centralized system because there's no need for it now when you go to peer-to-peer -peer and you're allowing for distributed mutation distributed rights you have to have some way to say this is valid and this is something that should be there or not and that's what consensus is all about it's about saying sort of what is the next record supposed to look like or how would i allow for the state of this system to move from a previous state to the current state and what is the mechanism for doing that okay and so like to me that some of the real world uses and once again i can't wrap my head around this whole thing yet and i'm not supposed to i'm not a developer and i'm new to crypto but it seems like some of the real world uses would be like other things that humans need to determine whether or not they're true or false for example, I've heard the idea of NFTs being also used to transact a home purchase that is normally requires an attorney with an escrow fund because neither person wants to give up their asset until they know that the agreed, the other person has allowed access and transfer of their asset, agreed asset. So it's like, how do we do that? Once somebody has always got to, the chicken has to lay the egg, somebody has to come first. That's where an attorney in escrow comes in, but this is bringing in the opportunity for those types of exchanges to take place because of a computer. So the, these things are possible and they're possible in different ways. And like the history of technology, we moved from handshakes and honor to paper contracts that were stored in certain spots to stuff like DocuSign, where these things are recorded. Uh, we still use government entities as a map or like final register record. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And then the registers. Okay. Yep. So, so the next evolution is to take this out of the hands of any government entity and put it into a place that sort of crosses the boundary of all things. Right. And that's where blockchain asset tokenization comes into play. This is where you can take and represent something on chain that exists outside of the chain. And then you have this custody, right? So somebody brings something on chain for the first time. And then when you transfer ownership of that, it conveys ownership of the thing in reality, right? So this uh, piece of land or this stock or whatever that it's represented on the blockchain and that blockchain represented representation is the ownership of that physical thing. So it's, that's what conveys the ownership right that's now. Way more clear. Now, once you compared it to a county register or county record keeping of titles and deeds, it's taking that government assist that centralization away and turning it to peer to peer. And so now what you have to say is what is the mechanisms by which we would allow for that to change hands or do something? And this is where the whole cryptography piece of it comes into play. You have some ability to do something that cannot be faked. It's uh, verifiable. It's, you know, in a sense, strong that only the right person should be able to do that kind of operation. Okay. In now, some ways, it can be less, way, way more flawless than many of the systems we can't have currently in place. In in theory, yes. In practice, this is a little trickier to pull off because okay. now you have this thing that a human has to keep track of and has to be good about 
like ensuring that they don't lose. And this is where people get hacked or lose their coins or whatever happens. It's like, you're supposed to keep track of this like super secret important thing. And that's, humans are not good at doing that. So okay. that's where then you keep going back to some centralization or paying custody. Paying somebody agreements. else to do that part, like instead of paying somebody to hold the title, now you're just going to pay somebody to hold the key to the title. And right. you're, you're back to where you were, but which what is this already allow- taking place. But what this allows you to do is it keeps it from being counter. That's the thing that's not as easy to prevent in the paper world, right? right. Think about ways that you could possibly subvert things that were a cash after Signa- having signature fakers and stuff like that. Fake a signature. All kinds and- of different scams. But look, like just if you think about how some things occur and work, and these are not obvious because most people will never interact with these systems. Yeah. When a house finally gets its mortgage paid off, I don't know how many people have ever been through that, but like when you finally get the lien on your house removed, it is a very bizarre process under which that actually occurs. And it is so outdated and so old and so like ripe for abuse that i'm surprised that it doesn't happen on a wholesale basis oh because nobody that process like nobody even understands most of their mortgage transaction or the difference between their deed and their title and their lien and all mortgages mortgages are long-term things they live for a very long period of time and a lot of times like it, it never, they don't even ever go away. Like they get rolled or refinanced or whatever. So the per, the process of closing out a mortgage, most people will never okay. experience it. Okay. That's interesting. So actually this is funny because this is a segue. I don't know that this is going to bring up any viewpoints, but it's an interesting statement that I agree with. I thought I'd just that somebody else's view. He's like a person on our show. So let's watch this next video. Many people think that cryptocurrencies are not a real thing and not a great asset category. What is it about cryptocurrencies that you think makes it an enduring investment proposition? We view it as a fundamentally as a technological transformation. So it's a, there's a fundamental technological breakthrough that has actually happened. And it's, a, it's an area of computer science called distributed consensus. So it's the ability for a lot of basically people and software on the internet to be able to form trust relationships in an untrusted environment. Money is one application uh, of being able to have distributed consensus, but it's only one of those applications. There are many other applications, many other things that people are going to be able to do with this technology. And many of the smartest people in computer science are going into this field and they're pushing it forward at a really rapid rate. So to us, it looks like it's just the eighth or ninth fundamental architecture change breakthrough technological transformation happening in the tech industry. Um, and, we, and we take it very seriously because of that. No, nothing new there. He's just an eloquent gentleman that agrees with kind of what we agree with. It's hard to argue with that guy. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most <laughs> successful investors of our time. I would agree with most of what he said. Yes, absolutely. He's spot on. This, this technology has the ability to revolutionize some of the most important industries which have not been revolutionized. Stock trading, asset tokenization, these things are huge. Finance, money, they're literally, like we have not touched this kinds of technology in a very long time. Kept by the billionaires and the trillionaires of the world and for whatever reason, and nobody else has had any say in how those things work. Those structures and systems which have existed have their own flaws, which have been exploited by various individuals to their quite strong gain and to the loss of the others. Yes, I, I, I believe that this sort of revolution is not necessarily like a thing that is going to enable the masses, but it will change how we do it. I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to help the rank and file or like 
the, the most of the people on the planet, but it will sure. change the game on how it's done because this is the right way to do it. Honestly, I, if you start looking at like how you would actually do this, if you were to, with all the current math and science that we have on how to do this kind of thing, this is how you would do it. There's yeah. no, and like, it becomes so obvious, like doing it in a trustless way in a distributed fashion. That's the yeah. right way to do it yeah. because yeah. otherwise he who controls the centralized system can corrupt it. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that's why I want to do this show is because like, even though most people probably won't get themselves in the position to take advantage of this, they're going to need to know about it. Cause otherwise the people who are in the position to utilize this tech is are going to take advantage of them. And so to me, it's my little bit of altruism is to share this information with the world so that people can uh, at least be aware of what's going on and uh, protect themselves. Knowledge is so it, it's, it is the next it's the next phase of digitization. It is largely akin to, I remember when I was a kid, there was a card and that may yeah. date me, but I remember looking through the card catalog and trying to find a book on the bookshelf. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And the whole idea of being able to go into a library or any digital knowledge system and be able to find things in a reasonable fashion. If you are of a certain age, then you know what it was like before we had these things. I didn't it even is, learn how to use the card catalog well until like my mid thirties right yeah. before they stopped like, and, and it, right as it was getting digitized and you could also do a search, but then you had to use the card, uh, use that in combination with the actual old catalog system to go get your book. It's, it's not that dissimilar to things that we're working with right now, as the card catalog was to like finding information in the digital age, it's similar to trading stocks or trading land or doing other types of asset tokenization and asset ownership is to like where blockchain is moving right now along with money. This it's a similar thing. Like we're still in like the card card catalog transition phase uh from libraries. It's it's a similar yeah. thing. Okay. We are That's right now analogy. moving ourselves into digital asset tracking. And it's what all of this technology really is built to do. It it doesn't okay. really do anything else, but it does that. Okay. So now we're gonna move away and I don't wanna I'm gonna bring on this young woman who's you know hey found some of her power, found some of her way to, you know, etch out of living in this world, which is, hey, difficult enough and more power to her. So I don't want to take anything away from this woman, but I do like her point of view. And uh, I, I think it'll bring up a little bit of a conversation for you and I to discuss and give our opinions of why we maybe feel differently than say she does or against what, she, not what she's doing. Because once again, I don't want to single out any individual, but uh, this is happening and it's rampant right now. And uh, let's just take a look. I've been getting so many questions about how I make my NFTs. So I'm going to do a quick breakdown of the entire process. So let me show you. The first step is to create a wallet that supports Solana NFTs. So go to phantom.app, add the extension to your browser. Then it takes you through just a simple process to make a wallet. And then you need Sol, the currency in that wallet, to pay the gas fees to actually make your NFT. So to do that, go to Coinbase, sign up, and then complete that whole verification process. So then you can use USD to buy Sol, the cryptocurrency, which then you can send over to that wallet. So you've got your wallet with some Sol in it. So now we're gonna head over to solc.io. You're going to connect your wallet and make an account. Now the fun part, let's create an NFT. So I'm gonna be minting a one of one of this digital drawing I did of the naked noodle girl. And the process is really simple. So let me show you. Create NFT. 
Then you're gonna upload a static preview, the it actual artwork, so that's why she can't show it. then fill out the descriptive elements, then click Mint NFT. Approve the transaction. Also, did you see that it was less than a cent? So cheap. Then approve the mint. Again, less than a cent. <gasps> Yay, we made an NFT. And there she is. So then tomorrow I'm going to make a video of actually listing the NFT. So if you like it and you want this one-on-one -on -one drawing of a girl sitting in noodles, you can buy it. And also just to show the quick process of how to list on Soulsea. Okay, I hope that was helpful. Hey, so, you know, more power to her for making some money, you know, blah, 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 c c capitalizing on a current trend. But that's why I brought that up is because it's the perfect description of the current trend. Which... I fucking hate NFTs, man. This, <laughs> just, like, this shit is so stupid. It's so... I, I don't hate her for making money doing what she's doing. What I hate is all of the real artists that have been struggling for the last 50 years actually creating real art and not being able to sell it. And not to say her isn't real art, but she made the thing in 15 minutes, had zero pain involved in the creation of it. And the only reason she's making money is because most people don't understand what a hell an NFT is. And they're thinking that they're going to make money because everybody's greedy and wants to make money in a super easy way. And right now, somebody has said that NFTs are the way to do that. When I say I hate NFTs, I want to be very clear about what I mean by this. Okay. I have no problem with anybody making money. If you can rook a rube, go for it. You know? Yep. Like whatever. You can sell someone to somebody and if they want it and you have it. Fine, sell it. Yep. I, I have yep. no problem with commerce, capitalism, or anything like that. Yep. I, I just personally don't have any interest in collecting these cards. You know, I've collected cards in the past. I have. I've collected different kinds of trading cards when I was younger. Uh, and some of them went up in value, and sometimes I sold them up, you know. So it's like uh, if you want to collect cards or collect JPEGs, whatever you want to do, more power to it. In fact, I I'm strong believer in personal liberty so it's like, hey if you want to do something buy something you should be able to do it when i say i don't like it it's because i'm not that interested in it personally now i think that there's a space for nfts that, that are interesting really working with different kinds of companies that i think are doing interesting things in the nft space but this whole idea of creating like kind of crummy looking art jpegs stamping out 20 copies of it with minor color variations and then saying it's worth a hundred, two hundred, a thousand dollars, or whatever it is, I think that this is a lot of fraudulent stuff that's going on here. I don't think there's a real market, and people are really buying these. I think that uh, there's likely interesting gamesmanship that's happening here, and then what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of bag holding. Hopefully, uh, it's only wealthy people that are buying these things for ridiculous amounts of money. I'm not sure after that that's they've the been case. after they've been ran up, and so it's only people with a bunch of money that lose money because they were speculating on stuff. But see, know, like... but I've seen some speculation about what may actually be going on here, and it's yep. that what's what's happening here is if I want to create the illusion of value, I can do it fairly easy with blockchain because there isn't a way to track the real flow of cash. Right. Because these tokens can move around so easily that they don't necessarily like because those transfers of cost don't incur a fee in themselves. 
normally when you sell something, there's friction to it. And that friction creates some amount of desire yeah, to not- It's the bid in the app. Think about it like this. If you go buy a TV, you have to pay tax on the transaction. And there's yep. like tax that goes all the way through it. And a lot of crypto, there's no tax. There, it, the, these things don't exist, where at least yep. a lot of people are not paying the tax. And because they're not paying the tax, there's no friction. And that means that it's extremely easy to mint an NFT, sell it once, and then just transfer the funds back to the person who originally gave you the funds yeah. and to make it look like this thing was sold for some amount of money when it never really got sold for any amount of money. And there's no real market for it whatsoever to fake out the market and make sure. these things look like they're going for high dollar values when they really aren't going for high dollar values. And to, to sort of back people who are creating this stuff and like how they're actually getting paid on the back end when you investigate it, it's very scummy. It's not real. And if there were real artists that were really putting up their art and having like real collectors that were interested in getting access to that art in a similar way to like digital, you know, prints are produced. Like when I buy a piece of art, I know that I'm not getting ownership of the art. I'm buying a print, you know, yep. and maybe those prints are valuable because they're so you get value because you're looking at it. like is somebody not to hack on that girl right there, but nobody's going to take that thing and put it up on their wall. And maybe they maybe will. They, you're right. Maybe they will. And, the, I, and art is in the eye of the beholder. So that's not it, fair of me to say you're right. It is. I mean, I could easily see someone wanting to like print that off or whatever. And the, honestly, the NFT doesn't help you with that at all. If you want that piece of art, she's already put it out there. It's available. Like you can print it off on your wall and whatever. So if it's like, hey, I want to tip this person back or I want to give them some money for creating this art. Okay. There's a valid reason that you may want to do that. And I, I can totally understand that. I mean, I like to support the artists that produce things that I'm interested in. And I do that by buying their music or buying their art or yep. buying their movies or whatever. So yeah, I mean, it's totally fine so, to support art. And that's, that's another topic that I've been asking you about. And I still don't fully understand is what's, so she's got, and, and she was doing a good job. She was, I think, protecting it for two re For some reason, I feel there was a nude woman in the middle of those noodles, some noodles, you know, but maybe also I feel like she was kind of protecting the anonymity of that one piece of art so that we couldn't just print it off. When she puts that onto a, onto a marketplace, is that what you're talking about at the point where we could, if we just liked it, we could just blow it up and take a screenshot of it. And now we own a picture of it too. Yeah. Well, yes. And, yes. and so maybe, but there are some mechanisms in place where I could only get a certain digital quality of it compared to a 6,000 by 6,000 pixel quality. That's not how it works right now. Well, there you go. Okay. So to me, that that is mind-blowing that anybody would put value on the one that's purchased through the NFT versus the one that I could just take a screenshot of and own as well. It doesn't, it doesn't in any way convey any type of ownership. It's more like an NFT right now, it looks more like the receipt that gets printed for a transaction than anything else. It's more like a- Literally, receipt. like you said, that you're just basically sponsoring the artist. Yes, it's it's kind of like you're, and, and that's even if you're giving money to the artist, like if you buy it on the secondary market, that's even more dubious of what you're doing. Some markets have a mechanism that says- uh, every time. Yeah, every time yeah. these things transfer hands, that some amount goes back to the original artist, the person who minted it. So there's that. But buying a receipt for a good on the secondary market is just, it's beyond crazy. crazy. 
you, so, you don't now, own now there thing. are some things like gary v's v friends nfts that he produced i mean they were the simplest of digital drawings but the person who possessed whatever that means and i'm still questioning what it means the person who possessed the one also has access to Gary V's keynote annual keynote speech and uh, conference that he's going to put on for the owners of these V friends. So that's an actual. So uh, that's more like a ticket. Now t NFT ticketing is kind of an interesting space because I think that this is one of those places where Ticketmaster better watch out because it's going to be pretty easy to eat that lunch, right? Okay. Ticket Ticketmaster has had sort of this monopoly for a long time about you know, being able to control and make non-counterfeitable access to events. I would not be surprised to see that sort of become Disappear. very easy. Okay. If you think about how easy it was for her to mint her NFTs, I don't see why any venue would let anybody mint their tickets for them anymore. I mean, so the only thing bonus with Ticketmaster is you get their marketing right now. So for to, for us to sit here and say that Ticketmaster is basically idiots if they're not working on turning into an NFT marketplace. I don't I don't know that that will help them because the oh. Ticketmaster what is Ticketmaster marketing? They're they're not marketing the event. I mean No, they aren't. Typically when I find out when I find out about an event, I go to Ticketmaster because that's where the where event get told it. me to go get the tickets. Yeah, you're right. I cared about the event and I heard about the event largely not because I'm like at Ticketmaster's site learning about all the great shows that Ticketmaster. Well, they would ticketing. like us to go there, but yeah, but does. that's not how it works. No, okay, and, good point. I mean, have you even think about things that are in like my backyard? There's a huge space of venues and, and places that have shows. And I go straight to the venue to say, oh, I wonder what this like confluence of different venues have available to, for me in the next period of time. I don't go to their ticketing system. It's all, oh, then I go to their ticketing system to yeah, get the yeah. ticket. I think it would be easy in the extreme for that venue set to say, we're going to do our own ticketing. Because when you go to the venue at the at the time, what do you do? You go to an app, you scan yep, something. Yep, yep. It's, so here we are. This, this is, is just this episode is basically free business ideas from Grant Cermak. All you got to do is want to do this and come to Grant Cermak, and he'll build this out for you with his company or last. <laughs> so good uh, yeah. job, Grant. I mean, the <laughs> last thing that Gary brought up is that, and I like this is what I uh, the other part I wanted to get on board with is you could create a ticket then. Like his idea was like as a marketing cross uh, way of transferring your product, you could say, I'm a pizza place. Whoever owns this ticket can get a pizza a day for as long as they want or a pizza, one pizza. This is a token for one piece of pe one pie per week or whatever you wanted it to. I could make a token that says I will do a branding call one two-hour branding call with any possessor of this token uh one call a week right so we're we're blurring the lines onto what nfts means as a, a non-fungible token versus a token to me it sounds like what i'm you're using saying. the that words be, wrong there are minute differences okay okay <laughs> it's like we're using the same underlying technology is kind of unique uh, a ticket because it's on a particular day at a particular seat, it sort of is non-fungible. Like one seat isn't as good as another if you have a seat. If you have a general admission to an event, it's not 
non-fungible. I mean, a general admission floor floor ticket, you know, where you're just in a standing room at some you know music event that you might go to. That's sort of blurs the line on fungible. Oh, it's more like a general non-fungible token. So it's like it is non-fungible of some sort in that you get admission, but it's also not a one-of-a-kind token in that it's first come for serve or however they want to arrange it and let you get your spot in that general admission area. Right. Now, the thing that you just described, it's kind of, I, I almost don't view that at really that much of like a not non-fungible anything. It's very fungible. It's like anybody who has one of these sort of can at any time do the thing that we're talking about. And so it's kind of acts more like a digital coupon with yeah. some rights attached to it that yeah. are conveyed by you know, whatever backed entity. And this is similar to what stable coins are. So it, it kind of looks more kind of like a, a stable coin, right? Because a stable coin oh, is okay. a representation of something that exists on chain. So it's like, if we're talking about like this token that says I can get a pizza anytime, it looks more like, you know, being able to go to a redemption window and say, I want to trade my USDT for a US dollar, right? I yeah. can go somewhere because I have this thing. I get this thing. Okay. Interesting. Hey, man, this was a super interesting conversation. It was went well. I loved our viewpoints. I, I, I liked hearing you make your stand, take your stand against hating NFTs. I like it. So uh, I think that was enough for today. I mean, this was an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit here with me. And uh, well, I look forward to our next one.